Welcome back to Political Ramble. This is your host, Cyrus King. On this podcast episode, I am going to talk about um, the Democratic Party, right? The DNC, and why, from my perspective, they're just as bad as Donald Trump. Or I guess you could look at it as well when you add up the DNC, the RNC. Or the, the Democrats and the Republicans inefficiencies. They're both terrible and we need a third party. So depends on how you want to look at it. Now, when you get into the democracy, because the, the problem with people is this. Domestic politics in America is set up more on an emotional basis than anything else. Right. So the problem is we have a mixture of people who get into politics, or not even people who get into politics, but people who, let's say, who take, who take part in the political process. So, for instance, you know, you get the, if you get, if somebody says, I'm a Republican or I'm a conservative, right? What does that mean? I'm into small government, right? I'm into fiscal responsibility, right? They're probably into making the markets, they're, they're more into the, the private sector and the government, the public sector following the private sector, right? So, that's somebody on the right, right? I mean, of course, that's a simplified version, but that's a quick version, right? On the left, the left would believe that the government is the only institution big enough to keep to maintain balance in society, right? And they would probably also believe that the government would probably have to be the one to, to regulate things on a certain level because, in a way, if you don't do that, you would have corruption, Right? And, and corruption from the private sector. So, you know, you have to make sure, like, government regulations could be stuff like, just that's a simple version. You own a restaurant, and you have health code people come in, and they come in once a year, right? That's technically a state regulation, but the state's part of government, right? Then you could go much bigger, of course, when you have trade deals and things like that. And so, and, and, and so someone on the left would also be the one that would probably claim to also care more about the rights of the disenfranchised, right? Because they believe that government has to be the one to bring balance in society to some extent, right? Government's the only institution big enough to do that, right? So whereas the right will be fiscally conservative, the left will be fiscally liberal, right? And you know, you know, even something as simple as when you see in European countries where how you see everyone has universal health care, or, or, or public colleges, right? That's, it t- that takes money. So someone on the left would probably believe in, you know, again, this is a simplified version because there's many degrees of left and right. There's plenty of people on the left who don't believe in free colleges, right? I'm just giving an example of what people would say the most extreme, right? Which are the socialists and Bernie Sanders wing, right? They would say, you know, free, public college, I don't like the term free college. Public college, Nationalize healthcare. If a company gets too big, nationalize that too, right? Now, so you have these two powers. And no matter what either, either side wants to tell you, for the most part, America has been run by two, two, by two parties for a long time. And the two parties running it is how we got to this point. So in a way, when you look at it, so like, yes, we are, we are truly a capitalist society, right? Because... But then we have parts of our society, like, 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 like let's say, Social Security, that's, 
that's not, that's run by the government, right? So a lot of times it gets complicated when you use the terms that we use, especially in the 21st century, because the economies, technology specifically is changing a lot of that capitalism versus socialism dynamic, right? But I just gave you a snapshot of the two sides, right? To the left, would, wouldn't mind higher taxes if, if that makes better government programs, right? Or makes the government bigger that they can maintain balance, maybe in even disenfranchised group, whether it's minority groups, female groups, uh, groups that protect immigrants, et cetera, et cetera, right? The right would say, no, you got to have, that, that stuff takes, that stuff is going to make taxes go up. We can't afford to make taxes go up. So we don't want that, right? And the right will probably say, just let the market take care of itself. So when we say right and left, remember, there's many shades in between. I mean, if you go totally right, if you go totally left, for the most part, the way the mainstream society operates, both, both sides will be considered fringe. If you go way right, that's going to be considered fringe. You go way left, that's going to be considered fringe, right? So what naturally happens is when you do the two parties, the two parties, for the most part, are really centrist, from my perspective, and they, their bases, see, because even though they're, they're really centrist, right, so the Republicans will be center-right, the Democrats will be center-left, right? So they're at the center, but one leans left, one leans right. And if you look at the last 15, 20 years, it's gotten worse where, maybe at one time, no, there's no question when the parties began, one was left and one was right. They weren't at the center. But as we grew more powerful as a nation, when you grow powerful in anything, I mean, the, what happens usually is people then want to say, let's maintain this order. And so when you maintain the order, centrism comes in naturally because it's, it's more like, you know, you have to work with the other side. You know, you don't want, you know, like, since neither the extreme left or extreme right really runs the country, both sides, whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans, would naturally be worried about the extreme, let's say, elements of their party, right? So this is partly why there has been no third party. It's not the only reason why, but that's part of it, where right now we deal with continually. We deal with continuing things as we know, as, as, as got us to this point. And so... Of course, the two sides would want power and they would, you know, they would want more power than the other side. So what has naturally happened is this. Domestic politics has taken on a kind of theoretic, it's kind of like theater in a sense, where both sides would have to engage their base, Right. And not only do both sides have to engage their base. So, like, let's say if you're Republican, you have to engage your base, which is on the right. If you're Democrat, you have to engage your base. On both sides, they have to control the extreme elements on both wings, right? So the Republicans have to control the extreme right, and Democrats have to control the extreme left. So this is why even using the word left and right is kind of it's kind of tough because the political the, the Democrats and Republicans. But I'm going to focus more on Republicans. I'm sorry. I'm going to focus more on the Democrats as we know it is more concerned with their power and their survival than actually left and right politics at this point. If anything, 
the left and right politics is really coming from the industries that support both sides. So I'm going to focus more on the Democrats, right? So Wall Street controls both, left, right, <laughs> Republican, Democrats. But the, on the left, tends to be more... I mean, look, and we, and we could deal with individuals, but for the most part, Silicon Valley seems more left. Hollywood seems more left, right? Then you, then, you then you combine that with the host of different civil rights groups from African-American groups, Latino groups, Native American groups, Asian Pacific Islander groups, um, LGBT groups, right? So you have, um, you have various Muslim groups. You have those as well, right? So you have all these different groups, whether you're dealing with minority groups, religious groups, well, not religious groups, but non-Christian, right? And then you have the Silicon Valley. You got the Wall Street. You got some elements of Wall Street, even though Wall Street controls, controls both. Hollywood. So you have a lot of, let's say, high-level white-collar workers mixed with minorities, right? Of various degrees. But I would say within, let's say, the Asians... And the Hispanics, if you are richer, you probably be more Republican. Amongst the African American community, for the most part, again, I don't like to generalize, but they tend to be very democratic, right? So what happens is, so you basically say you have these minority groups, and then you have white liberals with with money, or at least upper middle class white liberals, right? So what's so who's missing? And again, of course, I could get into women and, and things like that, but I'm just trying to give a quick snap, a quick version, right? So then you say, who's missing? The white working class, right? They will be more Republican, right? And of course, there's different groups. Democrats tend to be younger, Republicans tend to be older, right? There's, there's, there's other demographics as well at play, right? So then what happens? When you're looking at the Democratic side, you have to find a way, right, to merge in a... In a, in a one platform, all these different minority groups, as well as white liberals, right, on the coast, the coastal elites, as we like to call them, right? So you got the Hollywood, Silicon Valley, North California, Southern California, Wall Street, New York, right? And you have these two, these two, well, these two groups, right? The white liberals and the minority groups. So then you say, do their agendas align? And this is the key. Do the agendas align, right? And so what ends up happening is the white liberals and the coastal, the coastal powers, right, are actually running the show. But then you have to have something that in your mind you give the minority groups hope that you have their best interests. So then we have what some people describe as identity politics, and identity politics, in a quick way, you could describe it as just basically you get somebody from a minority group who obviously is a minority, and the white liberals in the coast feel good about that, right? They're like, wow, we have a, the first woman, the first black person, or African-American person, the first Hispanic person, the first Asian person, the first Native American person, and the identity is more important than actually the policy, Right. So in a sense, the theory is, well, when you do that, that's a bone that you throw the minority groups, because realistically, you only really need the minority groups for voting. Right. 
in, in truth, right? You need them for voting, like to, to get you in office, once you're in office. And to understand this, you go to the Democrats, right? How do they function? In the primaries, since at least since the 80s, if you go to Democratic primaries, right, it tends to be more, right, more left, right? So meaning that when it is, like when it is voting, well, sorry, when it is running against each other, you take a left position, right? Then when you get elected, you take a more centrist position. And what that does is it's sort of, in your, in your mind, you want to attract independents who are technically in the middle. And maybe you could attract disenfranchised Republicans who may not, for whatever reason, may be upset with, with the Republican Party, right? And so when you have this, this seems, on paper, this seems not that bad. Right, like if you look at this in paper, it says, "Oh well, they they want to, I guess, serve the people, or they want to they want to benefit the greater good." So you look at it and you say, "Okay, well, this why 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 not? Why did, why wouldn't this work?" And here's the problem: you have terms. People put this term called neoliberalism, right? And that's a term that's been that has been used since the seventies. Right? Some people will say Jimmy Carter. It began with him. Not began, but but that's when it started to take hold. But then other people they would talk about the Bush and Reagan years. And neoliberalism is is basically kind of what I just described. What some people would call Republican deregulation of the markets. You let the the private sector guide the public sector. So when you want to say how good the economy is doing, you go to Wall Street. You go to how good the stock market is doing. Right? You don't even care if you have boots on the ground. You want to see like what's people's. You know, the rate of unemployment or even people who or even if you do use unemployment, because right, you might say, well, the unemployment rates a certain amount. Things like, OK, what is the wages? What is the wages compared to the cost of living? You will never even pay attention to that. Right. Stock market one, maybe what's unemployment? That's it. Wages, you wouldn't care less. You would care. You wouldn't care about that at all. So as a country, our wages have stayed the same while our cost of living has went up. Literally. And obviously that, that causes a problem. We become a very a credit-based society. So many people have enormous debts. That's not, that's not including healthcare. And then so now you have people going bankrupt. So all this is taking place, and that's not counting when you have neoliberalism. You also have your... Neoliberalism is kind of like a way of... of a nice way of saying globalization. Right? And so... All of a sudden, you would, out, you would outsource jobs, right? So part of the reason why Donald Trump actually won, he won the Rust Belt states was because a lot of people, I wouldn't even say a lot, a portion of the electorate that voted for Barack Obama twice voted for Hillary Clinton. I'm sorry, voted for Donald Trump in 2016. And those tended to be in the states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, right? But really, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, right? So high to some extent, but it's really those three states, right? And when you look at it, so then you have that, right? So then you say, okay, well, these states were voted for Democrats and Obama, and then they voted for Donald Trump. The crazy thing is, when you ask people, even on, but Michigan, right? When Hillary Clinton, because people said, oh, Hillary Clinton didn't go to Michigan. She didn't go to Wisconsin. She didn't go to those states to campaign. People in Michigan said she actually sent Bill Clinton to Michigan. 
right? And the and the and the funny thing was, people were like in Michigan, Bill Clinton is not really that popular. Why? Because they looked at him as the person who created NAFTA, who outsourced a lot of their jobs to to certain places in the East, right? So then, what does that create? When Donald Trump came as a populist, where he says, "I'm against bad trade deals," that that appealed to the Rust Belt states, right? Who who converted from Obama to Trump that appealed to them. So when you deal with the Democrats, again, to me, the media is centrist, right? You get people on the right who would say the media is leftist. I, I, I would say the media is probably center left. I would give them that. Yes, I, I do think the media is center left. I don't think they're leftist, right? But because the media is center left, what, is, what happened is, rather than admit, like if you look at the narrative, no one says that. When, he, when you talk about Donald Trump rising, the first thing they're going to say is racist voted for Donald Trump. That's why he's in office. No one talked about the Democratic, the promises that they made certain populations or even turned their back on certain populations. So the working class, specifically the white working class, the people in rural areas, right, they don't even care about. Rural, rural areas, please, they don't care about that. And don't get me wrong, if I went to the Republicans, I could talk about, I could reverse it and talk about how the Republicans don't care about people in the inner city. That's fair, right? But I'm talking about Democrats right now. And so when you look at it from that perspective, it creates an interesting dynamic because when the media pushes it, first of all, Donald Trump won, right? So, so first off, no one thought that would happen. So you, you first have to say, okay, well, he won, but then you have to cover up your own inefficiencies. And he won as a populist. And the reason why I actually, I actually think Donald Trump is not winning now, besides, you know, people on the right could make up all kinds of reasons why he's not winning. Part of it is also because once he got into office, he became a standard Republican, basically, right? He didn't drain the swamp, just like I mean, Obama was always a Democrat, so I never believed it anyway. But let's just say Obama, if you look at Obama 2008 versus 2012, very different. Because in the end, this is why we need a third party. It doesn't really matter what you do to even get elected. Getting elected and governing is two different things. Listen, getting elect, winning the Democratic or Republican primary and then winning the general election is two different things, <laughs> right? So when you look at it, from a certain perspective, the Democrats, and, and, that's, and I'm giving you the light and easy version first, right? Meaning they have a conglomerate of groups who have less in common with each other than the Republicans do. So what I mean by that is this. Look at the Republican coalition, right? You got older people. You got white working class. You got the Christian right wing, which tends to be white. You got gun owners, Again, large percentage of them tend to be white again. Um, you have you have rich people, elite people, usually in the energy sector and certain sectors of society. Depends on what sector. But let's just say Christian right, older people, gun groups, right, white working class. Now there is differences, of course. There's working class of all different minority, all different ethnicities. You have gun owners of all different ethnicities, of course. But we're just saying in general. In terms of those demographics, who's the largest representation of that? And then you have to understand, and this is what I mean by, when I started this by saying, you have people who are into politics for the politics of it, it's not emotional. Then you have people who 
they emotionally invested in it and it's tied in culturally. So an, a, a Democratic, let's say a Democratic voter in the Northeast or the West Coast, right? It's going to be different culturally than a Democratic voter in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, or the South, or even the Southwest, right? Just like a Republican from, from, Northern, from California or New York will be different than a Republican from Alabama, Mississippi, and, or just like a Republican from Arizona, New Mexico. Republicans in Mississippi, Alabama, Southeast, being a Republican tends to be identified with their culture, literally, right? That's the, I mean, it kind of goes back to the Civil War. It's a cultural thing. When you go to the West Coast and the Southwest, you actually have more neutral, especially Southwest, you have actually have more neutral people who are like, well, I just, you know, South, Southwest has gun, you know, people, the guns, the kind of liberal with gun rights and stuff like that. So then a lot of them tend to go Republican, right? But it's not a cultural thing. It's actually just, it's actually more policy. And in a sense, the Midwest is kind of the same, right? The Midwest is kind of the same. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's not as easy as just saying, oh, right versus left, big government versus small government. No, because some of this stuff is cultural. So part of the problem comes in now is this, right? I... The Republican coalition has more in common with each other. The Democratic coalition, I mean, come on. You can go from, just look at the minority groups. You go to Hispanic groups who might care about immigration. You go to African-American groups who traditionally tend not to care about immigration as much because, again, there's, there's African-Americans or there's black people who are immigrants, but I'm just saying the big numbers in general, right? Who may not care about immigration as much because immigration sometimes they might have perceived it as taking their jobs, right? And I would lump in the Native Americans with the African-Americans in that. Native American groups may not care about immigration, right? And so when you're looking at this, you, you're taking all these different, and that's, and that's just me lumping Hispanics. Like, I mean, you got the Hispanics in Cuba, oh, Cuba the Cubans in Florida, this, then the Hispanic populations in the Northeast, which is tend to be Dominican and Puerto Rican, versus the Hispanics in, in, in West Coast, which tend to be Mexican, right? So even within these different groups, it's a lot of differences, right? Even when you talk about black population, you go to Minnesota, a lot of them are Somalian, right? Immigrants, African. It's a lot of different components that you're merging together. And let's be real. If they... If the Democrats in the primary pretend to be, you know, tend to go more left, then when they win, they go more center. I mean, think about it then. When they have all these different groups of minorities under them, they have to, I, I don't want to call it rhetoric, but the language will change in the primaries versus general election, right? Because in a sense, what happens? They have to use, because realistically, it becomes... It comes down to this. I don't remember the last Democrat that got the majority white vote, right? Um, white, like, like if you look at it, if you look at the numbers, white, like Democrats never win the majority white vote. You, Obama actually got the highest since a certain amount of years, right? But, which is, which is, I mean, I think Bill Clinton was a little bit higher, but the white vote in America, in the American political process, never votes majority Democrat. Right, so the Democrats basically say we're giving up the rural areas, we're giving up certain parts of the South. It becomes the white people in the suburbs who tend to be more affluent, 
right? That's who you want as a Democrat, right? So in a way, and, and of course, in the coastal cities, in the East and West Coast, right? So realistically, in a sense, when you look at the Democratic platform, it's going to be a platform that, number one, they, they would have, there's a lot of different, just because there's a lot more groups, in a sense, there's a lot more chaos. So if you look at the Republicans, you go to the right versus the center, though there are differences, this, the Republican and the center and, and the Republican on the right will get more along than the Republicans, than the Democrats on the left versus Democrats in the center. So Democrats on the left, like Bernie Sanders, will be seen as the enemy, right? So even though, for instance, so for instance even though media tends to be more center-left, Bernie Sanders is the enemy. Socialist is the enemy, right? And so when you add this up, and then this is still me not going to the big guns, right? Because I, like I've said this before, I pay attention more to foreign policy, what we do with wars, because I know, I understand that a lot of domestic politics is theater. I understand that. It's been theater for a long time. You don't think it's theater? You don't think it's theater? The Democrats will tell you that Donald Trump is a Nazi. Donald Trump is the greatest threat to our democracy, maybe in history, right? Donald Trump is the worst person in the world. George Bush and Dick, and, and, and Dick Cheney started an illegal war and killed one million Iraqis, literally, and broke a whole bunch of international laws as well as I mean, it was 9-11, so they pulled back private rights on, on a lot of our private rights they pulled back. Some of them, we, some of it we got back, some of it we never got back. Are you, are you kidding me? I, I don't like to curse in this political show, but are you kidding me? Look at that list and look at what Donald Trump has done. Donald Trump, for the most part, has done anything like that. We haven't had a war in that scope. Yes, he's pulled back. He's, he, he has done stuff with immigration. I will give you that, Right? But if I had to add up a million people dead in a legal war, first of all, Barack Obama deported more people than Donald Trump did. I'm just being real. I'm just being real. <laughs> right? So if immigration is what you have, I mean, that's kind of, that, that doesn't pale, that pales in the comparison to the war crimes George Bush and Dick Cheney did. And not only does it pale to, Pills in comparison, Democrats right now are parading people from the Bush administration who are voting for, who are backing Joe Biden. They're parading that, right? So literally, if you have Donald Trump, say, if you compare Donald Trump and George Bush, it's night and day. Yet if you look at the rhetoric, you would think Donald Trump is going to end the world as we know it. And that's what I mean by theater. It's theater. And so for me personally, I've always paid attention because I always know, like, if I want to know if somebody's really about change, what's their foreign policy? That's why as much as people on the left, regardless if I'm into socialism or not, because I'm not a socialist, but regardless, if, when people were parading Joe, um, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, I never loved their foreign policy, realistic, especially Warren, especially Warren. But I never loved their foreign policy. So for me, I kind of know how that was going to go if they ever got elected, right? So... The foreign policy now, this leads into my next point. Bernie Sanders, 2016, is going up against Hillary Clinton, right? We have a whole bunch of leaks that come out 
and that we find out certain stuff about the DNC, right? We find out that DNC, it was rigged that they wanted, obviously, Hillary Clinton to win, and they rigged it so that she could win, right? Russia was blamed for that. WikiLeaks and Russia was blamed for that, right? And when they were blamed for it, they actually used that to say that's why it turned the public against Hillary, and that's how Trump won. But if you analyze what was leaked, it wasn't anything untrue because then one or two people from the Democratic DNC admitted it, right? It wasn't like it was untrue and it wasn't the worst thing in the world. And yet, instead of, they couldn't admit that because then they would look corrupt. Because imagine if the Republicans did that. Remember, Donald Trump was in Bernie Sanders' position. He was an outsider, right? Imagine how the Democrats would have been acting if it came out the Republicans rigged the primary, right? So that whoever, Ted Cruz, would beat Donald Trump. Democrats would have been ripping the Republicans. Yet, when the Democrats do it, the media has to bring other things into, has to bring other people, has to bring other elements so you don't, so you don't pay attention to them, to democratic corruption. And that same corruption, especially in states that are not culturally democratic or culturally Republican, right? States that in the Midwest, in the Southwest, that's why Arizona is not up for grabs, right? They're not culturally democratic or Republican. They're not Alabama. They're not New York, right? They're not Mississippi. They're not California. Sometimes we lose track of how things really are, especially in states that are not our own, right? So all of a sudden, the Democrats couldn't admit what was going on realistically, right? They couldn't admit that. So they had to bring all this other smoke, all this other mirrors into people saying, oh my God, what's going on, right? You know, (laughs) Russia wanted Hillary Clinton to lose. And the recklessness in that is that Russia is nuclear power. Like this is the recklessness. Russia is nuclear power. And then they say, Russia wanted Hillary Clinton to lose. And let's go even further. And then you have the CIA intelligence agencies, a few people saying, well, yes, they're kind of hinting that Russia has evidence on Donald Trump. And so we have a whole year and a half of collusion and impeachment because of this. And the crazy part of it is, the crazy part of it is, a lot of people who understood this stuff said, if you want to impeach Trump, you could, but not over Russia. But the stuff that you would impeach Trump over like if you talk about illegal illegal coup attempts in Bolivia, in Venezuela, illegal wars in Yemen, right? You would get them on that, but you, but you you would never do that. You know why? Because Democrats are, compl- are complicit in that. And this is not for Trump. This is just whoever's gonna be president is gonna be like, like I said. Both parties are the same party at heart, especially foreign policy wise, right? So you couldn't get him on the stuff that could really get him out of the office. So you have to go into something that is, is exaggerated at best. And you're playing games with a nuclear power. And they call Trump reckless. Like, remember, they would say, we can't have a guy that's reckless, you know, with the control of the button. And look what they're doing. Right? That's what they were doing for two years. Wasting people's time. Actually, it was like three and a half years. And... In a sense, that is, if you go to any Democrat and you say, why are Democrats parading George Bush and people in the Bush administration as like, oh, wow, they're down with the Democrats now. 
And Bush and Cheney are much bigger war criminals than Donald Trump is. Much bigger. I mean, they broke international laws. They peeled back rights of Americans. They killed a million people in a war that was illegal. They literally made it up. No repercussions. That's the type of hypocrisy that we're talking about. Yet Donald Trump's a Nazi and he's... Yes, and again, the theater's great. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, he couldn't even disavow white supremacists. It's like, yes, the theater domestically fits that narrative if that's all you choose to watch. Because the problem is when you're into politics, right? Which is, which if you're not into it year round, all year round, you're not going to know this stuff, right? If you just, if you just plug into it when, when it, and not even the general elections, like not even like the, you know, the elections of the Senate and the House of Republicans, no, House of Senate, House of, Repub- House of Representatives, the Senate. If you're just into it for the presidential election, yeah, a lot of this stuff you wouldn't know. Honestly. And in a way, that's what makes this difficult now. The difficulty in it is that the Democrats and Republicans, but I'm going to focus on the Democrats, have now guilted people. I had a person on my page telling me this on Twitter today, talking about, well, both sides are wrong. No, 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 I'm sorry. I'm saying both sides are wrong. I want to vote independent. They're saying we know one side is, is more guilty than the other side. And that's another thing Democrats do. Every freaking year, right, they guilt the left into, into saying this person was Bush is the biggest threat. Bush 1 is the biggest threat. Bush 2 is the biggest threat. Trump is the biggest threat. Every fucking year is going to be a big threat. That's how they get down, right? That's what they do. That's how they, that's how they, they bully people who might vote third party into saying if you vote for third party, you're irresponsible because the Republicans are the bad guys. Even though, let's be honest, the Iraq war, Democrats signed off on that just as much as Republicans did. Let's be honest. Democrats signed off on it just as much as Republicans did. Let's go one further. Let's go one step further. As much as people, because Republicans traditionally are war hawks, right? Republicans traditionally are more warlike. They're more concerned with terrorism. So that tends to come with war, right? But let's be honest. Let's be honest. Since Barack Obama came in, when Barack Obama, when he was paraded as a peace candidate, right? He never was a peace candidate. He said he was against stupid wars, right? So when Barack Obama, when Barack Obama came in, the drone program got accelerated, right? So now he's high doing drone wars. But also, he kind of had it where when you go to, so like, for instance, like Libya, Libya doesn't really count as a war because we got other countries to send soldiers along with our soldiers with certain elements of the UN, and it doesn't really count as a war. Even though, in theory, Libya is the same as Iraq or Afghanistan. But Iraq and Afghanistan get counted as a war. Guess what, though? If you go to Iraq right now, you go to Libya right now, which one would you rather be in? So let's say Libya is associated with Democrats, Iraq is associated with a war that, I mean, Democrats backed it too, but let's say it was was a Republican administration. Which one would you rather be living in right now? Trust me, you'd rather be living in, in Iraq. And that's the point. So, in a way, when you look at it from a certain perspective, both parties marry each other, literally. The, the, the difference is, is yes, there, there is differences. Like, like I'm not going to tell you that if you're obsessed with everything domestic, there is certain differences, right? If, you, if you're into woman, women's rights, right? That one is the most tangible, I think. Because, I yes... The Republicans are not into that, right? Because they serve the Christian right. I give you that, right? There will be some differences. If you're into gay rights, 
minority rights, there will be some differences. But, but, the differences are highly exaggerated. And because both parties are centrist, what we do is we have the theater of I'm doing something for you. That's what the theater comes in and says, I'm doing something for you when you're not doing anything. Right? That's what it really is. It's like if you look at it, part of the problem the Democrats have is that the neoliberal, neoliberalism of the, the Bush years, right, Reagan years, that is not a democratic model of the corporate Democrats, right? So the corporate Democrats follow that model. That's why when we have all this stuff where we talk about Joe Biden's a socialist, that's crazy. Like Wall Street backs, Wall Street loves Kamala Harris. <laughs> Wall Street loves Joe Biden, right? They're not socialists, right? And the neoliberalism platform at this currently at this point, it, what it does is they use talking points that can try to pacify the left of their party, go to the center. But the difference is, look, like I've said at the beginning of this podcast, both Republicans and Democrats want to, like, this almost like you could say, we've been battling who's right for years, right? And my opinion is an independent. There's some stuff Democrats get better. There's some stuff Republicans get better. Or you could say there's some stuff the left gets better. There's some stuff the right gets better. And my, from my perspective, right? But yet, you have to make rhetoric, right? You have to increase the rhetoric. And the, the large problem is, is that when you look at corruption, if you say corruption, it's hard to ignore democratic corruption. Even when you go into immigrant rights, let's specifically Hispanics, let's be honest. Why does, are Democrats more pro-immigrant? Because it's a fact that the Hispanic population, when they immigrate here, after two, three generations, they tend to go more Republican or at least more conservative for the most part, right? So wherever, let's just say an immigrant, it might be 80, 20. Once you start going to, to Hispanics three, four generations in, it might be 50, 50 or 60, 40, but probably 50, 50, right? Probably actually less than that. So what do you have to do as a Democrat? You have to keep those gates open. You got to keep those gates open. That's why you back them. You don't care about immigrants' rights. You just care about that. You care about votes twice, once every four years or once every two years. Really once every four years. Right? That's what you care about. So because that's what you care about, you may not care what's going on in the borders and cartels and that stuff. You don't even care about. Because you just because you're in the coastal cities, in your fortresses. Because again, realistically, it's more about the people at the top who benefit from this, right? And this is a problem because this is not even being addressed. Like, political pundits, because of their bias, don't even address this for the most part. If you, if you, if you team blue, you do everything the team blue says. And that causes a huge problem, in a way, because their corruption, like literally, I'm just to explain to you, realistically, why they back immigrant rights, Right. Of course, you'd have people who deny it. You, you know, of course, you say, I can't prove that. But look at the numbers. Look at Hispanics. Look at the numbers when you got immigrants versus Hispanics three, four generations in. 
Look at Texas specifically. The Hispanic population in Texas, the Mexican population in Texas is very different than the Mexican population in, in California. The Mexican population in Texas has been in Texas. Some of them has been there before America, before the, before America was even formed, right? And the Texas and Texas Mexicans tend to be more conservative. And so, when you're looking at this, it puts a lot of things in perspective because. Their role, their 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 stance of immigration is just purely for that, and so, and again, again, it's not as easy to prove that, but it's it's a level of corruption potentially that everyone wants to ignore, right? So then, when you talk about trade deals, which killed them, bad trade deals, which killed them, they don't care about the rural areas anyway. They don't care about the white working class. So they, would, so, so they would make trade deals that benefit people on the coast. So then when those same populations don't vote for them, they wonder why. But instead of admitting why, because then they have to, because remember, remember this. The stereotype is Republicans are pro-business, Republicans are for the rich, Democrats are for the working class. Right? That, that's a stereotype everybody has. Right? So you have to kind of keep that up. So then if you, because you have to keep that up, what do you do? Right? You can't admit your faults. You can't admit that foreign policy wise, both parties are the same. So you have to, and, and look, I am not telling you racists do not back Trump. I'm not telling you there's not segments of white militias who back in Trump. Yes, no question. But my point is if the Democrats would have did what they were supposed to do with the Rust Belt, it would have just been the Obama years all over again. Just like you had in Obama years, you had people talking about the white supremacists who were activated because Barack Obama's president. It would have just been that. But because the Democrats would have power, you wouldn't get as much of the racist talk as you're getting now. See, to me, the, the, real, the real reality is people have to understand politics better than they do. Because if, you, if you're just going into it emotionally, you leave yourself susceptible to all this madness that we see. Right? If you go emotionally. You leave yourself susceptible to all this madness. So when I wanted to make this ramble, I want to make it where people start to see, like, look, there's real problems right now, right? And it's not as simple as just saying one party is good, one party is bad. Corruption on both sides led to Trump. Trump becoming president from one side, he's Republican, he became a Republican president, he lost his populist flavor, and that's why he's losing. Third party, third party, third party. So that's why I gave you this near 43-minute rant, because this needs to be explained more than it's being explained. So this is Cyrus King for Political Ramble. Till next time, peace.